Let's pray. May the Spirit of the risen Christ encounter us in our darkness. Meet us in those places where we need new life and bring us to resurrection. In Jesus' name, Amen. In a moment, everything changed. In fact, one word changed everything. Her name, Mary. And she recognised. She knew. Jesus was alive. Rabboni, she exclaims. And she runs to throw her arms around him, to hold him. Like if she ever lets go, this moment will slip through her fingers and he'd no longer be there. It would all have been an illusion. But don't hold on to me, he said. For I'm not yet gone to my father. Go instead and tell the others. That morning had gone nothing like it had been planned. Early that morning, some women had gathered in Jerusalem with one thing and one thing only in mind, to complete the burial rites of their Lord. They had carefully prepared the spices for just that purpose. Given the unjust indignity with which his life had been snuffed out, the least they could do was ensure he was afforded a proper, decent burial. That he was given some respect in death even if he hadn't been afforded it in life. Doubtless they had been grateful for the intervention of a rich Judean, Joseph of Arimathea, who had ensured that once Jesus was dead, that he had access to the body. Otherwise, Jesus might well have been dumped in a mass grave. That was the normal fate for anyone considered bad enough to have suffered crucifixion. We don't know how long Joseph had been a follower of Jesus. There's no mention of him prior to Jesus' death. Luke tells us that he had been part of the council which condemned Jesus, but that he had not consented to their actions. Perhaps it was his failure to rescue Jesus at the hands of his colleagues that prompted him to act. Enough was enough. Like the women, he wanted to ensure Jesus was spared even this last indignity. And so these women went with him so that they would know when Sabbath was over where they had to go. And John tells us this Joseph and Nicodemus had prepared the body with a mix of myrrh and aloes. They'd embalmed the body, they'd wrapped it in grave clothes. But the women who went to that tomb that morning wanted to pay this last respect. Of course, they knew that there was no guarantee that they were going to get to do it. A great big stone had been rolled over the entrance of the tomb. It had been sealed lest anyone try to steal the body and claim that Jesus was alive. Soldiers had been placed on guard over the tomb all weekend. They might not agree to remove the stone and they might not allow the women to reach the body. But still, they had to try. But it was as they approached that things started to go awry. The garden was strangely quiet and empty. There were no soldiers. There was no stone over the entrance to the tomb. 
It had been rolled back. And although John doesn't tell us, I presume they looked in to check, there was no body. No soldiers, no stone, no body. So far as Mary and pretty much anyone else who had been there that morning was, were concerned, when you put those three, to, three things together, it could only mean one thing. That the body had been moved. No one was thinking, Oh yeah, he's risen just as he said he would. Silly us, we should have believed him. Nah. What was she to do? So she ran to Peter. He didn't know what to do. When she found him, he was with John. And together, straight away, they set off running, leaving poor Mary trailing in their wake. John gets to the tomb first and looks in from outside. Why he doesn't have to, we're not told. But whatever the reason, Peter has no such qualms. He's straight in there. And sure enough, Mary was right. The tomb was empty. John says he went into the tomb and at that point he believed. But we're not told what he believed. The more I reflect on it, the more mundane a belief I think it was. I think he just believed, yep, Mary's right. The tomb's empty. She wasn't looking in the wrong place. She wasn't imagining things. At no point does he seem to have indicated to Mary that there might be a better explanation, a more positive one, that Jesus has risen just as he said he would. Now, John adds that they still didn't understand that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the other disciples leave and go home. But Mary doesn't. She lingers by the grave. And then something catches her eye. She bends over to look into the tomb and sees two people there. Woman. Why are you crying? An odd question to ask in a graveyard, you might think, especially by the grave of one so recently deceased. They've taken my Lord and I don't know what they've done with him. She turns away, perhaps hiding her tears, when out of the corner of her eye she sees someone else. And he says much the same thing. Woman. Why are you weeping? And she thinks this must be the gardener. Maybe he's moved him. Maybe Joseph changed his mind. Maybe the authorities laid a bit of extra pressure on people. If you're the one who's moved him, let me know where and I'll deal with this. And then that one word. And everything turned and changed on that one word. Mary. And the denarius drops. It's him. Jesus. He's alive. We can think of Easter Sunday as the happy ending after the traumatic events of Holy Week and Good Friday. But actually it's much deeper and more nuanced than that. It's not just one moment 
where everybody's joyful and everyone goes, Ah, yes, we remember you told us what we like. It takes time for the reality of this to sink in, for them to work out what it all means. They need to process it. And I think there are a couple of reasons why Mary gets to be the first to witness the resurrection. They're similar but subtly different. There's a couple of things. And the first one is really simple. She's there. She lingers. Long after everyone else is gone. And that's something about Mary. She stays with it. She's probably one of the better known characters in the Gospels. But we actually know very little about her. And by far the majority of the references to her are clustered around those days of the Easter weekend. She is one of the last by the cross. One of the, those who sees where he's buried. One of the first to the tomb. And now here when everyone else gone, has gone home thinking there's nothing more to see here. Mary still waits. She encounters Jesus because she's there. Because she lingers. She encounters the risen Christ because she's on hand when it happens. Even when she can't get her head around it, when it doesn't make sense, when maybe she doesn't even know why she's still in this garden. So much of faith is about showing up, being there. I don't just mean turning up at church on Sunday mornings or online or in person. No, that is part of it. It's more than that. The journey of faith isn't easy. It doesn't always make sense. But if we want to catch a glimpse of God at work, if we really want to encounter the divine, so much of it is just showing up. Putting ourselves in a position where we can hear and be open to it. Some of you are ornithologists. You might hear of a sighting of a rare bird and you go off to see it. And you know, maybe you'll get lucky and annoy all the others and see it sort of in the first five minutes. But the ones most likely to see the bird are the ones who stick around, who stick with it who get their eye trained into what they're looking for. Yes, God in his grace may answer our prayers, doubts, sorrows, whatever, quickly. But it won't always be like that. There is something to the story of Jacob wrestling with God and saying, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And at times faith is tough. And so much of it is hanging in there, putting ourselves in a position where we can see an answer, showing up and sticking around. But also Mary is prepared to engage with her sorrow. When all the others have gone, she still engages. She doesn't run away from it, doesn't deny it, put a brave face on it, she doesn't hide from it. During Lent, we are encouraged to name and face the darker, more mysterious sides of faith. And then at Easter, we're encouraged to embrace the hope of resurrection. Oh, if only life 
worked so greatly to those timelines. If only we woke up on Easter Sunday morning and all of our prayers were answered. We know it's not winter. Maybe you didn't feel particularly wilderness-like in Lent. Or perhaps you entered Lent with all sorts of struggles and doubts and resurrection morning hasn't brought any relief. Those long-standing prayers and hopes are still unanswered. The hope of resurrection is not that we will somehow avoid pain or sorrow or that we will never find ourselves weeping. It isn't even just about the thought that it'll be all right one day when we fly, fly away and rest on another shore. It's about knowing that wherever we are at this stage in our lives, we are not alone. We are never beyond the reach of the love and care of God. However dark and despairing we find ourselves, new life is possible. But those who find it are the ones who are prepared to name and acknowledge where they're starting from. It's one thing I come back to with you again and again. One thing that God wants more from you than anything else is your honesty. Things don't always work out as we plan. But we don't have to run away from that. We can name before him the wilderness we are facing, in whatever form it's come. But we can also refuse to let go of the hope. And it may mean wrestling like Jacob, or showing up and lingering like Mary. But be open to the possibility of new life, even if it comes in ways you don't expect. If we do, one day the penny might drop. We might hear that one word, experience that one moment that transforms everything. Because new life is possible. The tomb is empty. Christ is risen. And he will never let us go. Grace and peace. May God be with you this Easter. May the risen Christ walk with you throughout this season.